Welcome back to another episode of the Bank Shop Podcast. I'm Andrew. I'm Kale. And we have a returning special guest. Hey guys, it's Bryce. I'm back. This is a special edition episode. We are filming this the night before New Year's Eve. As everyone knows, the college football playoffs start tomorrow. We have a great set of games, Alabama and Cincinnati, Georgia and Michigan. It's variety for the first time in a while in the college football playoffs, so it should be fun seeing different teams, different coaches in it. The first game we will start off talking about is Cincinnati versus Alabama. We have the first group of five team ever to make the college football playoff, and, and it is against Alabama, the powerhouse, traditionally the favorite to win it all right now. But a lot of people have mixed opinions on this game. Some people think Cincinnati is going to get blown out. Some people think they can pull off the upset. Alabama has kind of taken an underdog mentality into this game. I don't know how many of them actually believe that, but Will Anderson has been one of the spokespeople for it. Uh, beats me. But we'll start with you, Kale. What do you think about this game? Okay, so clearly um, most of the college football media, college football fans, and Las Vegas think that Alabama is going to just come into this game and dog walk. The spread is a negative 13.5 in favor of Alabama. But I think that any Alabama fan or any better um, coming into this game, expecting Alabama to just blow out Cincinnati and dominate whistle to whistle is in for a bad day. Um, with that being said, I do think Alabama is going to win. They're just the more talented team. And at the end of the day, that's just, you know, that's going to win college football games. But there's a few like um, minute things with Cincinnati's system and, and their personnel that I think really gives Alabama a lot of trouble. The first thing I want to start off with is um, how potent Cincinnati's RPO offense could really be, and that's something that gave Alabama a lot of trouble in specifically the Florida game. Um, Desmond Ritter is a really good runner, and he um, has developed into a really good RPO quarterback, not just a runner, but we all know Desmond Ritter has always been a really good athlete, and he has good arm strength, but he's starting to get the ball out quicker, uh, process things a lot better. And then a player I want to talk about, former Alabama running back Jerome Ford has been a monster for Cincinnati this year. He has about uh, 1.2 thousand rushing yards and nearly 20 touchdowns on the year. I think Jerome Ford is going to have a huge game against his former team, and uh, I think that's going to give Alabama a lot of trouble, whose rushing defense has been inconsistent and bad at times. Um, they allow about uh, 80, 88 rushing yards a game, which is obviously not bad at all. But um, there's some games, like I said, most specifically the Florida game, especially when you throw in a running quarterback, Alabama can give up a good bit of uh, rushing yards. But another thing I want to talk about is um, how portable and how athletic Cincinnati's defensive line is. Um, Majay Sanders is one of the best edge rushers in the country. He is a super good athlete for his size. And I think he's going to um, disrupt Alabama because – you could stick Majay Sanders as well as a lot of Cincinnati's defensive line anywhere. He could line up. You obviously want to keep Sanders away from Evan Neal uh, and get him, you know, um, into like the B gaps and uh, get him lined up over the right tackle. And I think he could cause a lot of disruption, similar to how Will Anderson on the other side for Alabama caused a lot of disruption. And then finally, another thing that I think is going to give uh, Alabama a lot of trouble is how good and how long Cincinnati secondary is. Cincinnati truly does have, you know, power five NFL level length in their secondary, starting with obviously Ahmad Gardner. That being said, Alabama, they run a lot of like switching routes, right? So I think 
their game plan is going to get their best wide receiver, Jameson Williams, off of Ahmad Gardner and get him onto someone like Kobe Bryant, who is the Thorpe, but Kobe Bryant does allow a lot of yards. He's a really good ball hawk, and he may end up with a pick in this game. But uh, that's the matchup that I really think. How good can their secondary contain Jamison Williams? And depending on that, this game could end up being really close. So I'm going to take Alabama in this game, but I do think that the Bearcats keep it within, you know, 10, 7 points. Bryce, talk about who your pick is. So actually, I think there's a lot of things in this game that to like about Cincinnati. Um, over the course of this year, Alabama struggled with tight ends, and I think Cincinnati has a good group of tight ends. They use them well. Um, over the course of Saban's really entire time at Alabama, they've always had problems with mobile quarterbacks. You know, the narrative that you have to have a mobile quarterback to beat them isn't, isn't accurate, obviously, but it certainly helps. <clears throat> and like Kill talked about in the, in the secondary, that's really Cincinnati's main strength. You know, two elite corners and uh, Gardner and uh, Bryant. And one thing that not a lot of people, you know, really paid attention to at the time, but Bama only scored, uh, I believe, 10 points once Mechie went out against uh, Georgia. So I think that loss is going to be going to be pretty significant. And I actually like uh, Cincinnati in that game. Oh, okay. Um, I So the issue with Alabama – is you don't know which one you're going to get. You have an idea because it's a Nick Saban coach team in a big game, but earlier in the season, they looked very beatable. Not even early, late in the season, the Auburn game. They play the 33rd ranked defense in the country, and their offensive line got obliterated. Uh, it's the only way to describe it. No one played well, even Evan Neal, and they struggled to beat a TJ Finley led Auburn. And then the next week, they play the number one team in the country in Georgia, who had been on a historic run all year, looked like one of the best teams ever, and they beat them pretty handily. So you just – it's a question, but I think personally that, like I said, it's a Nick Saban coach team in a big game versus a group of five team. I know Cincinnati is an amazing group of five team. It's underselling them to just call them that. But the talent disparity is definitely there. Uh, I believe Alabama is number one in 247's uh, talent rankings among teams. And Cincinnati's 55, which isn't a great uh, representation because Florida, I think, is a top 10 talent team. At least they were at one point. But um, I just think that Alabama is going to win this game by a lot. I think that the underdog mentality that people like Will Anderson, like I said, are taking on is stupid because no one is underestimating them. And I think that they're going to not run away with this game, <laughs> kind of. I think they're going to win by 20-plus points. Uh, Jamison Williams is really, really good, and we're going to get the matchup of best versus best in the country. There's been posts about this. A bunch of people are talking about it. Sauce Gardner versus Jamison Williams, and I think Jamison Williams is going to get the better of him. And I just think Alabama overall on both sides of the ball is too good. I, their defense has been shaky, but I think they're going to pick it up in this game, and I think they're going to beat Cincinnati by a pretty good margin. Here's the thing, though, like like everybody, you said, everybody in the media is hyping up this Sauce versus Jamison Williams thing. And I really do think that Maude Gardner is the better player, I think. You know, when it comes time in just a couple months when it, you're, you're ranking your NFL prospects, I think Maude Gardner is going to be higher than Jamison Williams. But like I said, if you look at how Alabama treats elite cornerbacks um, when they have an elite wide receiver, they run a lot of switches in the second level to where they're getting their best wide receiver matched up against a corner that is not the best on your team. I really don't see – obviously, Ahmad Gardner is going to shadow Jameson Williams, but when it comes down to the heart of the play, I think Alabama is going to get 
uh, Gardner off of Williamson a lot, and that's going to end up – That's uh, like I said, I think it's going to really come down to how well can Kobe Bryant guard Jameson Williams rather than Sauce Gardner because, you know, the one I like the most uh, – note the most, um, last year in the SEC Championship, you had Kyer Elam, a really, really good cornerback, and then you had Marco Wilson, a really bad cornerback. Uh, Alabama got Devontae Smith switched on to Marco Wilson all game. One thing advantage of that. One thing to watch too is going to be those bunch uh, formations. We saw it quite a bit against Georgia, but those are a nightmare with a guy like Jameson Williams because you're having to switch, like you guys have talked about. So that'll be a big thing in this game, I believe. And it's not like Alabama. I mean, obviously losing John Mechie really hurts, and the Slade Bulls is going to have to get a lot of uh, time in this game. But Ja'Cory Brooks is still a really, really good wide receiver. He's a freshman, obviously. But the limited sample size we've seen from him is good. It's not like Alabama doesn't have weapons to replace John Mechie. Like you said, their offense did struggle without him. But I don't think it's – I mean, John Mechie is really, really good, and it's hard to replace a wide receiver like that. But uh, they definitely do have the talent to replace him. So even if – I know the switching everything, but even if – Sauce Gardner only covered Jameson Williams. Alabama definitely has the offensive firepower um, outside of just Jameson Williams. So uh, I think I think it'll be interesting the way that uh, the whole game pans out. But it's just hard for me to bet against a Nick Saban coach team in Alabama. They've won by an average of over 20 points per game over the last playoff or the their first round playoff appearances that they've had, and they've outscored opponents 89 to 27. I know the past isn't a great judge, but you know a Nick Saban t- coach team is going to be ready for a big game like this. No one's doubting that. Uh, but it should be fun to see a group of five team play an SEC team in the playoffs the first time ever. So uh, moving on to the next game, Georgia versus Michigan. Uh, I believe this is – well, it's three versus two. I don't believe it. But Georgia is favored. Uh, and I, this is the more interesting game in my opinion. But we'll start off with Bryce because, you know, Georgia fan here. Uh, what are your thoughts on the game? Well, I think the most intriguing part about this game is the fact that these two teams are actually really similar in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I think Georgia's a little bit more talented. But Michigan, you know, they want to get downhill. They want to run the ball. Both teams want to protect their quarterbacks and use them in friend, quarterback-friendly situations, you know, protect the protect the ball, chew clock, stuff like that. And both teams are really good on defense, especially in the front seven. Um, you know, Georgia's DBs – we thought coming in the year they'd be suspect and didn't really show up until Alabama, but they are obviously pretty suspect after that game. Um, and, you know, Michigan's defensive line with those two edge rushers is could be a legitimate problem for Stetson Bennett. But I just think at the end of the day, um, Michigan wants to run the ball, and I don't think they're going to have much success against Georgia's front seven. You know, we saw the memes last week about Jordan – or not last week, but last, you know, SC championship game about Jordan Davis, but this is really the type of game that he's going to shine in, and I think Georgia's going to come out on top. Yeah, I, I do agree that because I did, you know, um, I did take a really strong anti-Jordan Davis stance after that game, but that was just about his um, his value as like a four-down NFL modern nose guard, but this is not a modern football game, like Bryce said. This is going to be a lot of punting, a lot of running the ball, uh, you know, a lot of between the tackles work, and that is where Jordan Davis will make his best impact. And I think even though Aiden Hutchins, uh, Aiden Hutchins is a miles better prospect, he's going to have less of an impact in this game than Jordan Davis is just because of the nature of this football game. And th- they basically are the same team. I mean, they run the ball a lot. It's a lot of um, – there's the running back rooms are deep as well. Hassan Haskins – 
I would say Hassan Haskins is the best running back in this game. Zamir White. I'd agree has, with that for sure. Yeah. Zamir White just hasn't ever looked like his – he hasn't lived up to his potential due to all the knee injuries and everything like that. But I think um, the key players in this game, everyone loves to say, you know, playoff games come down to quarterback play, and I agree with that most of the time. But I really don't think either quarterback is going to make much of a factor in this game. You know, Cade McNamara, Stetson Bennett, or J.J. McCarthy, I really don't see any of them taking over the game. I think it's going to be – one X factor, and that could be Brock Bowers, that could be um, Hassan Haskins, that could be Jordan Davis, that could be Aiden Hutchinson, but I really don't see either quarterback taking over this game. So I don't think Michigan's slight advantage in the quarterback room matters. I think it's going to come down to which defense is better. And before the SEC championship, I would have undoubtedly said Georgia's defense is better. And even though Michigan, Michigan in the two most important games – their defense has looked better than Georgia in, in Georgia's most important game, right? They gave up three points in the Big Ten Championship, only gave up 27 points to Ohio State. But I still think just on a pure talent level-wise, Georgia's defense is obviously more talented, the, the, the most uh, talented defense we've seen in a long time on paper. And I think they're going to get the better of this game. And I think Georgia's going to win in a super like boring, really low-scoring game. Uh, when it comes to the spread, like Andrew said, it is negative 7.5 for Georgia. I really wouldn't bet on this game either way because, you know, Georgia could win, but I don't know if they cover uh, a two-possession spread. I I have to agree with you there. So this game is kind of going to be like a, a, a flashback to the past. Uh, it's going to be very non-modern football. <laughs> it's going to come down to whose offense can score just enough points. Uh, it's going to be a lot of three-yard runs by Hassan Haskins, three-yard runs by Zamir White, Blake Corum, all of them. Uh, but Michigan's defense going into the uh, game against Ohio State, Ohio State was one of the hottest teams in the country. A lot of people had them as the second-best team in the country at the time. Their offense was firing on all cylinders, and they did a really good job on limiting C.J. Stroud, uh, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigua to – not killing them, and I, we all know Georgia's offense is not nearly as talented or as good as Ohio State's. Uh, the David Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson are going to be, uh, they're obviously the key to Michigan's defense. I don't think they're going to have. I don't think Aiden Hutchinson is going to have as massive as a game as he did against Ohio State. Obviously, just because of the fact that Georgia isn't going to pass enough even to give him the chance to do that. Uh, but I do think, or I do think Michigan is going to win this game. Uh, I just think that they're going to be able to run the ball slightly better. I think this game is going to finish as like a 2018 finish, 21-18. If Georgia wins, there's absolutely – I just don't see a way that they cover. I don't see a way that either team blows the other one out. It's going to be a close game all the way through. It'll be fun to watch in the fourth quarter because it'll be a close game, but the first three quarters I don't think are going to be very entertaining. But I do think that Michigan is going to pull through this game. Like Kale said, they have a slight quarterback advantage for the second week in a row, which feels like the first time in a very long time. But I don't think it'll matter that much. It's going to come down to what offense can just score enough. And I think the, I think Michigan's going to put up around 20 points, and it's going to be just enough to beat this Georgia team. But it should be a very fun game. I think it's going to be a lot closer uh, than Cincinnati-Alabama. But I have. I think Michigan's going to win this game. One thing to really look out for with this game, though, is um, I, I don't know if any of the newer reports have came out, but there's been like rumors that Dax Hill, Michigan safety, yeah. and nickel cornerback is not going to play in this game. 
I'm not sure why. I obviously don't think he would opt out, but he may be injured. And Dax Hill plays a really important role, uh, you know, in a modern defense. He plays the nickel. He could be a single high safety. He could be down in the box. He's a really versatile player for Michigan. He could pretty much line up almost anywhere in the defense, and he's been really good this year. So if Dax Hill does not play, that's a that that is a um an advantage, especially when it comes to Brock Bowers, because that is the kind of player that you'd want guarding Brock Bowers in a lot of defensive situations. If Dax Hill is not in this game, I think that's a huge blow for Michigan, and that gives Georgia like a staunch edge, like a really sort of, I don't want to say X factor, but I think that could be a really big narrative as this game goes on. Another thing I'll say um, about mm-hmm. Michigan is obviously there's in Michigan, Georgia, obviously their strength is an edge, but I'd argue really that Georgia's strength on offense is an offensive tackle and tight end. So, you know, I think that's another thing that's favorable for Georgia in this game is, you know, Jamari Sayer and Warren McClendon are, are pretty sturdy offensive tackles. Like, I think Sayers only gave up a one sack this year. Um, and he even played hurt against Alabama and played. So, I think that's one thing to like about Georgia in this game. I did the – the Dax Hill thing, Cade McNamara did come out and say, someone asked him about it, uh, and he just gave a really shady response. He just said it's not his job to tell the media. Whatever. Uh, but it, it is a th- weird thing to follow come game time. So since this is a special episode, we're not talking about anything else but the college football playoff, Kale and Bryce both know a lot about the X's and O's of football. So we're going to do a deep dive into it. Uh, since we have more time, we'll start off back with the Alabama and Cincinnati game. Uh, Kale, you can start off. So something really interesting on the defensive X's and O's for Cincinnati is what defensive base front are they going to use? Because if you look at Cincinnati, their uh, season-long base defensive front was a three-three-five net front with obviously three down linemen, and then you can blitz linebackers, you can blitz DBs, or you could just run a um, five people truly in the second level. Um, Here's the thing, though. Naturally, um, when they played Notre Dame and when they played Indiana, they had a 4-3 front to um, get the most out of their pass rush because Cincinnati does have a power five-sized defensive line. Most group of five teams do run a three-man defensive line because they're more athletic and they could they could um, get delayed blitzes. So you think that Cincinnati is going to run a 4-3 versus Alabama, especially to help contain the run game so you can't fully open up the offense for Bryce Young. But when you look at teams who did run situational 3-3-5 versus Alabama, like Auburn and like Texas A&M, that gave Alabama a lot of trouble, delayed blitzes, really making Alabama's offensive line use their brain instead of you know just their pure brawn because Alabama's offensive line is always going to be one of the most athletic, one of the best in the country. But if you really make Alabama's um, offensive line think, you can get a lot of gaps. So that so if uh, Cincinnati wants to send late blitzers from the linebackers, or send even some blitzers from the secondary, which is the riskiest thing you could do in football, but uh, high risk, high reward plays. Um, which defensive uh, base front should they use versus Alabama? And I think that's going to be a big thing for Luke Fickle. And this is possibly the most important decision he can make because if he makes the right one, it could truly win him the game. And if he makes the wrong one, then it could really get out of hand. So, Bryce, I was wondering which one do you think Cincinnati should roll out with? You know, I think um, I personally would go to the three three five look. Like you said earlier, um, I don't think they're going to have success with lining up 
and trying to bully Alabama. I think that'd be foolish. But if you can bring blitzes off the edge and from different spots, you can have some success uh, getting a young on the offensive line. And another thing, um, flipping the side of the ball with Cincinnati is um, bracketing Jamison Williams. But if you do bracket Jamison Williams, I think that's going to leave a lot of opportunities from the um, from the tight end position for Alabama with Jaleel Billingsley and Latu. If Alabama could take advantage of these one-on-one matchups, because both of those tight ends do have a little bit of a drop problem, but if they have a good game, that could really be an X factor for um, Alabama, and it could make Cincinnati line up true at the line of scrimmage and make them uh, possibly go man-on-man with every receiver that Alabama uses. But I think bracketing Jamison Williams is going to be the most successful topic – or, excuse me, the most successful defensive uh, ideology that he could use to slow down Jamison Williams because, obviously, uh, uh, 1,500 receiving yards, 15 touchdowns for Jamison Williams, that's, that's a huge – that's a, um, a huge player you need to stop in this offense. Yeah, I've always learned the belief make someone else beat you. You know, I, I've um... – I like my odds of stopping Billingsley and the two rather than Jameson Williams. Um, so I, I would bracket them. And you, you're going to give up some yardage that way to other guys. But I think Cincinnati can live with that. I don't think Cincinnati can live with just letting Jameson Williams beat them like he has everyone else. Yeah, and um, for Cincinnati's offense, like I said, the RPO is going to be huge for Cincinnati. Getting Alabama's linebackers – in space, spreading out the defense. Like, Jerome Ford, he could be Alabama starting running back right now. Like, if he never transferred, there's a good chance. Or or else he's a he's a really prominent two-back. Well, and that's something, that's something Bama's linebackers have struggled with for a few years now is their eye discipline's been really poor. That's one of the biggest complaints of Bama fans with Pete Golding is their linebackers are very undisciplined. So, RPOs are going are gonna to be big with that. Yeah, it, like I said, Jerome Ford is – probably the best home run back in um, in college football right now. And then if you bring in – if the run game is killing it, then that's going to really open up the passing game for Cincinnati. And, look, Desmond Ritter isn't the most accurate quarterback in the world. Don't get me wrong. But to say he lacks arm talent is is just false. Um, if you could really start to get Alabama's uh, specifically safeties and linebackers biting on run fakes, biting on the RPOs and really making them make a lot of hard decisions. Cincinnati's offense could start to open up a lot, and, and you could get some really favorable looks. Even though your talent disparity is there, you can it's, – it's all going to – your two most talented offensive players, Desmond Ritter and Jerome Ford, that's going to that's gonna be where it starts. But they could really start to get looks for quality players like Alex Pierce, their leading receiver, and then Leonard Taylor and their other tight ends. Like Bryce said, they do use their tight ends really well. And Alabama does struggle versus tight ends. Um, but yes, yeah, Cincinnati's offense is really balanced. They average about 500 yards per game. That's 250 through the air and 200 on the ground. If Cincinnati could have a really balanced attack uh, with the RPO, get a lot of slant actions, make linebackers and safeties have a lot of discipline, and uh, you know stay with their man, that that's that's one of the ways that Cincinnati could really get favorable matchups versus a more talented Alabama secondary and Alabama defense. Yeah, I definitely think the biggest thing to watch as far as Exxon knows in Alabama is their is their linebackers. You know, like I said, they they've been pretty undisciplined as a whole under Pete Golding. And you know, when you're facing an offense that has a lot of RPO action and tight end usage and play action, 
that's going to be pretty susceptible. And uh, so what do you think the most successful way to attack Alabama's rush defense is for Cincinnati when you do have um, runners as good as Desmond and Jerome Ford? Well, I think you got to keep their edges honest. One thing we've seen a lot from, from Will Anderson this year is, you know, him crashing down to the inside and just blowing up blockers and making plays. But if you can keep him honest by having the quarterback, you know, a part and a factor, you can limit him and keep him on the edge and try to create some rushing lanes up the middle with Ford. So I think Ritter's got to keep him honest. He's got to he, – he doesn't have to have a huge game on the ground, but he's got to do enough. Yeah, the, I keep going back to the Florida game for this game because I truly do think that Florida's, uh, at least early season offense and Cincinnati's offense are really, really similar. The thing that Alabama really struggled with with Florida is when you got the bigger runners in there like uh, Damian Pierce and Malik Davis through the A and the B gap. Um, that was really successful for Florida. And once you get those running backs into the second level, that opened up things for Emory Jones. That opened up things for Naquan Wright, who's a lot smaller but shiftier runner. And – you know, that was a hard thing to contain about Florida's early season offense was they had so many different styles of runners, so many different paces of runners that they could roll out any formation. And Cincinnati does have something similar. Desmond Ritter is a similar runner to um, to Emory Jones. Jerome Ford is more – he Jerome Ford is, would be the most complete back. Uh, Florida doesn't really have a complete back besides Damian Pierce. There's a lot of archetype backs. But Jerome Ford – I think is just going to have a huge game through the through the um, inside gap, you know, the A and the B gap. And like Bryce said, keeping their edges honest with Des- Desmond Ritter as a runner. Uh, Alabama in the middle. I, recently, they've been a lot better than they have in the Florida game. But I think rushing through the A and the B gaps and, you know, keeping Will Anderson out of the play for the most part is going to be the most successful uh, point of attack for the rushing offense with Cincinnati. And if Cincinnati's rushing offense can really get open, then, you know, like I said, downfield shots, a lot of RPO action with through the passing game, stuff to Alex Pierce, stuff to uh, their tight ends, all of that is going to start to open up, and you're just going to have a complete playbook to throw at Alabama. And that, <laughs> a complete playbook is what you need versus Nick Saban. Do you want to um, transition over to the uh, Michigan-Georgia game? Yeah, we can. That was pretty good. Yeah. You can talk more about that one because I know more about Cincinnati and you know yeah, more. Yeah, I have a pretty good bit to go. Do you want without. me to inter- – like a – what's it called? You be the Molly Car- or Quarren role, yeah? Uh, bring it up to yeah. you? Okay. Uh, what time is it? At the, I'll do I'm that at 20. First, yeah, I'll let you go first, Bray, so I'll stay to you. So, moving on to the Georgia-Michigan game, we'll talk about the X's and O's again. Bryce, you can start because you're the Georgia fan. So, the biggest moneymaker for Georgia's defense under Kirby has been controlling the run with light boxes. And what that means is that essentially Georgia's stopping the run um, with five and sometimes six-man boxes against heavier offensive boxes. So, what Michigan can't do is allow Georgia to stop the run with light boxes. Georgia's base defense is essentially, by personnel, it's a 3-3-5. But by, I guess we can say formation, um, it, it's almost like a 4-2-5. There's four down defensive linemen sometimes with the outside linebackers standing up, two inside linebackers and five DBs. So one thing you can see against Michigan is, against in the past, against run-heavy teams, Georgia's ran more of a traditional 3-4 look with three interior linemen and two outside linebackers, which obviously takes off the slot corner. 
the problem with that is you're going to get more matchups with the outside linebackers in space. So that's one thing Michigan can take advantage of. If if Michigan allows Georgia to stop the run with five and six man boxes like they have in the past, Michigan will not have success in this game. Yeah, that is a big thing. Michigan is going to have to um control this game of the ground just like Georgia is, but like Bryce said, Michigan can't let Georgia bully them. And I don't think they are because if they do or if they are able to roll out a light box and they are able to have smart corner on the field. That's really a disadvantage for Michigan. One thing Michigan really needs to do is – oh, excuse me. One thing Michigan really needs to do is get into space. That is another thing about Georgia is their outside linebackers are great athletes, but similar to um, Alabama, sometimes their decision-making is questionable. And this year, um, you especially want to run away from the Cubby Dean side of the field because the Kobe Dean is a demon, but – if Michigan get get in, get if Michigan can get out into space with their running game and open things up a little bit, that will be really successful for them because if Georgia is able to roll out minimal defensive linemen and still win their pass rush and run run wins, they've already lost the game. Georgia has won the game at that point. Now, one thing I want to talk about on Georgia's side, Georgia's offensive side is um how do you think that Georgia's pre-snap motion, because that is the thing that Todd Munkin really likes to do, how do you think that is going to affect Michigan's defense, and do you think it'll be a, a very successful thing in this game? So, obviously, like you said, Munkin uses a lot of pre-snap motion, and what that does is it gets the linebackers' eyes in the wrong spot. And I actually do like Michigan's linebackers. Um, they're pretty good against the run. They're a little – a little. Um, they can be had in coverage at times. Um, and I, I do think Georgia will use a lot of pre-snap motion. I don't think it'll be as successful as it's been in the past, but maybe get their linebackers' eyes in the wrong spot here and there and maybe hit them in a big play in coverage or, you know, they get out of their run fits. I don't think it's going to be a huge, huge thing, but, you know, it's something to keep an eye on. Now, one thing uh, that I think Georgia should look to really take advantage of is Brock Bowers is a mismatch. And if you could get Brock Bowers on the edge as a receiver – and get him into um, routes such as like a, a corner Z route or an out route or a sit route in a zone. These are going to be, you know, 5, 10, 15-yard run, uh, excuse me, passes that really start to add up and can get an offense into a passing rhythm. Thing about Cesar Bennett, Cesar Bennett isn't necessarily awful, especially when he's in rhythm. He's a good game manager quarterback when he's in rhythm. And if you could start to get uh, – if you can start to get the ball to your playmakers like Brock Bowers um, on the edge running these sort of routes, if Michigan lets Brock Bowers win on these type of uh, passing formations, that's going to be another really big problem. Now, one thing you really like about or you think could be a positive uh, XO standpoint that you've seen from the Alabama game is George Pickens in the slot, right? Yeah, it's not something we saw a ton of against Alabama, um, obviously, because that was Pickens' second game back this year, and he'd only been practicing – full go for I believe two weeks so he wasn't he just wasn't in football shape you know but we saw it a little bit in the slot and what that does you're you're getting Pickens in a much more favorable matchup um so that's something to watch I think I do think Pickens will be a bigger factor this game um he was against Alabama I don't think he'll be what we saw to him in the past in some bowl games like you know 120 150 yard performances um but I do think he's gonna have some big catches and 
I, I do expect to see him quite a bit in the slot, trying to get him on a um, favorable matchup. Now this is a this is a um a, a, a situation where you really miss Dax Hill if he's truly out of this game because Definitely. George George Pickens in the slot, Dax Hill is you know a combo coverage safety who could cover him in the slot if Georgia or excuse me if Dax Hill is really out of the game for Michigan, that is you know um. Brock Bowers in the slot, George Pickens in the slot, where you're getting your best athletes, your best receivers in favorable positions versus what I would assume would be underclassmen or guys who don't start as much playing that nickel position instead of a um, future NFL player in Dax Hill. That's a really favorable matchup. Now, another thing that Alabama – or excuse me, another thing that Georgia ha- could have a lot of a success with is chipping with your tight ends, right, uh, on the talent at Ed of Michigan. Yes, yeah, so one thing that I heard that Georgia wanted to do a lot of against Alabama was the 13 personnel um, with the three tight ends. And what Georgia does is they line them up on the same side off tackle. Um, and we didn't get to see a, as much as that as I thought, obviously because Georgia got down in the game, and that's just not a super successful um, – you lose a lot of value when you're having to throw the ball every play of that look. Um, because what makes it so dangerous is that it's such an effective running and passing look. Because of the athlete Georgia has a tight end, um, you obviously have to commit a lot of bodies to that side in the run, but then you can get beat because they're such they're such good athletes in the passing game. Um, but I think that look can be can be big against Michigan because it helps you get on the edges, and it helps you uh, crack down on the uh, two two stud edge rushers for Michigan. Now, one thing this is a debate uh, when you get into these sort of old fashioned. Um, football games like this where a lot of guys are split, especially defensive guys. But, Bryce, I do want to ask you, how successful would, do you think that the 5-2 defensive front would be for either Michigan or Georgia in this game? And do you think these teams should implement it? Yeah, I think in a game like this, it's that's it's a personal favorite of mine. Like, we saw it a lot. Uh, Florida's used it quite a bit against Georgia in the past. It's called, like, they, a lot of guys call it the bear front. Um, it's something Todd Grantham used a lot of, and even though he wasn't a very good defense coordinator, he did do a good job of stopping the run against Georgia at times with that bare front. Um, I think it would be valuable, especially um, for Georgia in this game with Michigan's, you know, with how Michigan wants to run the ball. I think the bare front would be pretty valuable. Yeah, that is one thing I think would be really successful because I think in a bare front with Georgia, it can not only be successful against running looks, but if Michigan wants to go play action with Cade McNamara and get Cade McNamara out of the pocket and throw to uh, his receivers who are going to be on an island, right? So essentially what it's going to be is it's going to have Jordan Davis on the field as the nose tackle, but accompanying Jordan Davis, he's going to have two legitimate four-down defensive tackles, Jalen Carter, and he's also going to have off-ball linebackers on the field all at once. And the corners are going to be entrusted with Island on the boundary, the X and Y wide receiver. You're going to have a corner manned up against them. And then the safeties are going to take uh, – if you have a slot receiver, then the strong safety is going to take the slot receiver in the nickel position. And if you have two tight ends in a running set, like you're going play action or you're going to straight up run, both safeties are going to take each tight end. I think the bear front works perfectly for Georgia because, like I said, you do just get the massive man that is Jordan Davis, but you also accompany him with a bunch of legitimate pass rush to help uh, pick up where he he leaves off in that situation. With Michigan, see, the thing with the bear front with Michigan is you can get um, their two really talented edge rushers on essentially on an island with their respective tackles. Now, Georgia has better tackles than Michigan, right? So, I, I, if I was Michigan, I would use it 
less sparingly. And if I was Georgia, I really think this could be a successful um, defensive – I wouldn't say base alignment because obviously in modern football you're never going to run a 5-2. It's got to be situational. Yeah, exactly. It's just situational. But I think it is something they could use more often than not or how uh, more often than they usually would. Now, if you're playing a team like Alabama, you would never – you essentially never use this unless it's like a you know, fourth and one or something like that. But versus a team like Michigan, you're essentially trusting um, Cade McNamara to make the right play under pressure, and you're entrusting that the wide receivers will win. Even though Georgia's secondary is a little bit suspect, I think they could handle Michigan wide receivers that are not necessarily the best. Um, so I do think this could be a really successful uh, defensive lineman for Georgia. Um, do you want to wrap it up? or? Yeah, I think it's about everything. Okay. Um, I'll do it. So this was a fun episode. We got a lot deeper into the game than we usually do. Uh, Tomorrow should be a very fun day. Big games. Uh, College football playoff is always exciting, no matter the score, even though a lot of times the first-round matchups aren't aren't good. But should be a good day. Uh, It was fun having you, Bryce. Glad to have you back. I'm sure we'll have you back on eventually. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Um, and we hope you guys have a great New Year's Eve, New Year's. Uh, start off the new year right. And we will see you next week. See you guys. See you guys.